Good morning. That's just, that's just the practice good morning. If you say about three times, the third one usually works. Good morning. Oh, good. Here we go. Uh, nice, nice for me to be able to say to you, welcome to the new year. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Um, our theme for this term is, uh, Hear my Lord, restore me. So I'd like you to say that with me a couple of times, and we'll use that as our be beginning prayer. So say it with me. Hear my Lord, restore me. Say it again. Hear my Lord, restore me. Now, one more time. Hear my Lord, restore me. Now let's pray just a minute. We open ourselves to all that that means and pray that you make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard the prayer of our hearts, Father. Our praise, our adoration, and our desire to be close to you. Thank you for making that possible. We praise you and pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I trust you had a wonderful Christmas season. We had all of our children home for a few days. Um, it was our year to have them for Christmas. And um, my son-in-law gave us a wonderful gift by sending our daughter and grandsons out a few days early. So we had our grandsons for 19 days. Our three-year-old grandson, when he was born, they were living in my youngest son's condominium, and, and the nursery was upstairs, and, and, uh, and it just didn't work out, so he started sleeping in the same room with his mom and dad while my son-in-law was doing an internship as part of his Ph.D. program. And, um, and so he's rather grown accustomed to sleeping in bed with someone. Well, when they come to our house, those someones are us. So we had the privilege of 19 nights with Ethan in our bed. Sometimes he, he wanted to go find his dad and through the night we would carry him around. My future daughter-in-law who was visiting said, <laughs> said one morning, she said, you people sleep in more beds at night than any people I've ever seen in my life. You know, without offending my grandsons, I will steal a line from my dad. Uh, one year at camp meeting in southwestern Ohio, uh, my children, three children, my brother David's four children, had stayed with mom and dad for a couple nights there on the campground during camp meeting. Well, uh, needless to say, uh, when we came to get them to take them home on Saturday, uh, my dad told the crowd that night, 
He said, I've seen the lights of Paris, and I've seen the lights of Rome, but the sweetest lights I've ever seen are the tail lights on the car taking my grandchildren home. <laughs> So, uh, any any rate, uh, that's sort of true, and it, it's sort of not true. You know, you, for the last two days, they left Monday, and for the last two days, I, I keep hearing a baby cry. And uh, uh, you walk around, and, and you they should be there. So you know what I mean, and. Uh, any rate, you know, uh, I heard this morning uh, on the radio that there was a crash, an accident at Powers and Stetson Hills, and that they were rerouting the traffic. I hate that intersection, um, especially if you're coming south on Powers and you need to turn left on Stetson Hills. There's a sense that you're having a pit stop in the middle of a NASCAR race. Uh, you always try to get the inside lane uh, because if you're on the outside lane and you're stopped, they're going by you at 65 miles an hour. And it just kind of shifts your car. I kept waiting for Dublin to open. If Dublin would just open this quandary of trying to get to the inside lane and now you're facing the northbound traffic, if they could just open Dublin all the way to Peterson, I would have a new way home. Well, they did. And I do. And I am so thankful that I don't have to sit at the bottom of Stetson Hills and Powers any longer. As I was thinking about what to share with you on this first family chapel of a new year, my heart was drawn to the story of the Magi. Now, perhaps you've had your spiritual cup filled to overflowing with the Christmas narrative by now. I, I must confess to you as a pastor, I often struggled to build fresh Advent sermons. Now it wasn't so bad when you moved every three or four years, but in my last stop I was there for 14 years. I preached on every article in the Nativity during those 14 years. I even imagined that there were Christmas trees around the Nativity. But if you would permit me this morning to look one more time at this narrative concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the, the verse that really captured my attention was verse 12. 
This is the one I couldn't let go. This is the one that, that, that when I said, look, I don't have time to, to, to write a new sermon, to, to work on a new sermon. I, I got all these kids running around and all of this type of thing. This was the verse that just hooked me and I couldn't let it go. Verse 12 reads, And having been warned, the Magi, being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. One writer says that few biblical stories are as well known, yet so clouded by myth and tradition as the Magi. The only legitimate facts we know about these particular Magi are the few given by Matthew in this narrative. We are not told their number, their names, their means of transportation to Palestine, or the specific country or countries from which they came. Matthew simply says in verse 1 and 2, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Matthew does not tell us how the Magi knew that a king had been born. He doesn't even refer to the uniqueness of the star that, that informed them of the birth. In fact, there's just a lot of mystery that clouds this beautiful story. The gospel does make clear why they came. They came for one purpose, to worship the one who had been born king of the Jews. You know, it must have been strange. In, in fact, as I read it, it, it seemed strange to me. And it, it must have been shocking to the Magi that no one in Jerusalem knew that a king had been born. The gospel implies that King Herod scrambled to find out what in the world the Magi were talking about. He assembled the religious leaders who were experts in the scriptures and Jewish tradition. And he asked them to make sense out of the question that he had been asked from the Magi. Verses 4 through 6 refer to that, if you will look with me. When he had called, King Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Now as I look at that, the response of the religious leaders to this hastily called meeting with the king, and the question that he asked them, their response to this seems really odd to me. Were they not puzzled by the king's question? Did they not wonder why the king would assemble them together on short notice to ask such a question? 
Were they not interested enough in the birth of the Christ to even investigate the question? The reaction of King Herod to the answer from the religious leaders seems equally surprising to me. Why did Herod meet secretly with the Magi? Was Herod trying to hide them from the religious leaders? And then this question just really, it was perplexing to me. Why didn't he just follow the Magi to Bethlehem? And we don't know the answer to questions such as these. We do know that in verse 9 through 11 we read that after they heard the king, that being the Magi, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them and to it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. The writer says, upon leaving Herod, the Magi were overjoyed with, with the reappearing of the star. And it led them to the house where the infant Jesus was. They knelt, worshipped him, and presented him with gifts of status, reverence, and love. And then verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another way. So what does this say to me and to us today? I think the first thing it says to us is that God will lead us. Those who seek after God, He will lead us until we find Him. He will guide us. He, he, he will pursue us. I think it also says that on the journey, on the journey, we will meet people who are hostile toward the gospel message and we will meet others who are indifferent to the gospel message and we should not let them impede our desire for Christ but we will also meet people who encourage us and help us along the way I think a third thing it says to me is that when we discover Christ our response will be worship reverence and gratitude and then one other thing having encountered the living Christ we return home a different person on a different way I was raised in the home of a preacher that's an interesting statement it would take me the rest of the day to unpack it. My spiritual journey was one that was hot and cold. Rarely was I lukewarm. 
I guess that's good according to the book of Revelation. Um, at the age of 16, at a tent meeting in the city of Clarksville, Tennessee, I heard God speak to me. That was a hot moment. The cold came quickly like a northern wind. My journey with God was one that was up and down. When it was up, it was really up. When it was down, we won't talk about that. It continued that way through my first two years at Olivet Nazarene College in those days. Um, some of you know this, but uh, I had decided at the second semester of my sophomore year that college was not what I was going to do and I had applied for and been accepted into an apprenticeship program at U.S. Steel in Gary, Indiana. I was going to learn to be a carpenter. So about two-thirds of the way through that semester when I knew that I'd been accepted at, into that program, I just basically quit school. Now I went to classes. always went to classes. I loved going to class. I was an odd bird. Going to class was fun. I, I like to watch the people in the class. But homework and getting ready for tests, that was not on the agenda. That, that took time and I didn't want to give that type of time. So I quit. Thought I was in love, thought I was engaged and everything. And then it all unraveled that summer. The, the love interest was no more. I was laid off at U.S. Steel. And I went to church on a Wednesday night and heard them sing and testify about the love of God. And I was one hurting young man. It was at that time that I got up and left the sanctuary and went into what had used to be a janitor's closet that somebody had dedicated and made into a prayer room. And I knelt before that picture of Jesus praying in the garden with the Bible there in front of me. And I knelt there and I asked God, I asked him to show me if he was really real. I said, Lord, I, I, I am tired of this. I need to know, are you the one who you say you are? Now, I'm not one for just flipping the Bible open, but that night, God turned my eyes to a verse of Scripture in Psalms. And I, I cannot answer how this happened. But every question that I would ask and weep over, our loving God would light that star up, shine it right down on a verse of Scripture that would be the answer to the exact question that I had asked.
That night, I encountered the living God and accepted Christ in a way I had never done before. And when I came out of that room, I was on a new way, a new road that I had never walked before. And let me tell you, it revolutionized my life. And I am thankful that God is one who guides us to himself. I am thankful that along this journey, there will be those who encourage and help us along. I'm thankful that when he changes us, like the Apostle Paul, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So what does this new way for us in a new year look like? Is it about resolutions? You know the typical ones, don't you? You've probably heard a sermon on it. I'm sure through my years, I preached a sermon on, let's make a resolution to read our Bible more. Let's make a resolution to pray. In fact, I can remember as a kid, the evangelist could always count on one night of having the altar full of seekers. And that was the night that he would preach on personal devotions. So we make that resolution that, that we're going we're to read the Bible more, we're going to pray more, we're going to witness more, we're going to eat less, we're going to weigh less, and we're going to spend less. Now, let me just suggest to you, this is all well and good. I mean, who could fault us for wanting to be more disciplined in our faith and life habits? But I believe it is more than resolutions. It is about transformation. It's about being restored into the image of Christ himself. You see, the new way home is the way of holiness, of Christ-likeness. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The new way home is about loving God unreservedly and loving others unconditionally. Brendan Manning tells the story of Richard Ballinger's Day Before Christmas. He's a little boy from Anderson, South Carolina, and his mom was busy wrapping the Christmas presents and gifts for the next day. And she said to her, her little son, Richard, would you, would you shine Mama's shoes? He took the shoes and got the polish and Soon, with the proud smile that only a seven-year-old can muster, he presented the shoes for his mother's inspection. His mother was so pleased that she gave him a quarter. On Christmas morning, as she put the shoes on to go to church, she noticed a lump in one shoe. 
She took it off and reached inside and pulled out a, a quarter wrapped in paper. And written on the paper in a child's elementary handwriting were these words. I'd done it for love. I'd done it for love. As we go forward in this new year, I pray that the new way that we walk we can say I've done it for love. A new way for a new year. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we thank you for your sweet presence. It's always amazed me, Heavenly Father, that we don't have to beg for you to come. It seems that when we stop and, and listen, really listen we hear you speak so in this new year Lord would you help us to find time to stop and really listen Father it also seems that <clears throat> When we listen to you, you show us your incredible love for us. The way that you come to us, the spiritual hugs that you give to us, Even the discipline that you bring to us all indicate your incredible love. How can we not but return that love to you? And Lord, I pray that as we as we listen and as we're in your presence that you would give us new eyes to see the world in the same way that you see the world to see others the same way you see them and to love them as you would love them to serve them as you serve them oh father may your spirit empower us to walk a new way in a new year and I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, before you go this morning, uh, uh, you know, I have a, uh, something I would like to share with you. Um, I received uh, uh, this uh, yesterday from Dr. David Phillips.
and I'd like to share this with you this morning. Uh, dear Dr. Graves, several months ago I was contacted about possibly taking a position at Trevecca Nazarene University to serve as the Dean of the School of Graduate, Adult, and Online Programs. After much thought and prayer, I have decided to accept their offer. In March, I will complete 13 years at Nazarene Bible College. These have been wonderful years, and I will always treasure the opportunities I have had to serve the church and the kingdom at NBC. And uh, respectfully, uh, Dr. David M. Phillips. Well, uh, certainly, um, certainly we, I, you know, what do you say? Uh, except for the fact that we are so grateful uh, for David Phillips' leadership, uh, the establishment of a premier online program that is the model if not for ABHE schools, if for all schools of higher learning. And um, Trevecca noticed that, and uh, Trevecca came calling. Now, I'm, I'm privileged to know that this is not the first opportunity Dr. Phillips has had to, to, to leave NBC, that uh, with his uh, notoriety in the field of online education, many have come knocking on his door. So I am fully confident today that uh, this decision by Dr. Phillips has been covered in prayer and that uh, as difficult as it is for us uh, to release him and, and, uh, and to see him go, uh, it is the appropriate thing for us to bless him and to in, in, support his decision uh, to, to take this new position. Um, I told Dr. Phillips yesterday in my office, I said, you know, your name will be etched in the history of Nazarene Bible College long after we're all gone uh, for the contributions you have made uh, to this institution's. So, uh, Dr. Phillips, uh, I think it would be appropriate for us to show our appreciation to you, and certainly as the days go ahead, uh, knowing you, the, the party person that you are, uh, you can't wait till we do something in your honor before you leave, but nonetheless, it's something that, that we will want to do, but I think it's appropriate for us today to acknowledge Dr. Phillips and show our deep appreciation for him in his leadership here at NBC. Dave, please know that, that uh, this body will be in prayer for you uh, during this transition in your life and in Chris's life. And certainly, uh, we, we will be in prayer for the online uh, department as, as we look toward the future. But uh, you, you don't ever want to look toward the future until uh, the present is, is no more. So. 
uh, we, we thank uh, Dave for his leadership and please know that this body will be praying for you in the days ahead. I think we have a closing song and then we're going to have some refreshments out there. A time for you to, I think Mr. Aaron Beatty made, did you make something for us today, Mr. Aaron Beatty? And what is it that you made? Cinnamon rolls. Do we get one each or if you, if you, if you cut them in half? And, okay. Don't you appreciate Mr. Aaron Beatty getting up this morning and preparing nice cinnamon rolls? Isn't God good? Man. Let me let me just say one thing before we go. Um, you know, I've I've been doing the Lord's work for a lot of years, um, and having been raised in the parsonage, um, it's been my life. Do you understand? I mean, I wasn't always the model preacher's son. In fact, I think somebody wrote a song about me. The only one who could ever teach me was the son of a preacher, man. Um, but at any rate, I, I digress. Um, but but this, is, this, is, this is what I know, and this is what I've seen through the years that God doesn't make mistakes. You know, there, there were times, I remember when my dad moved from Clarksville, and I, I, I was born in Nashville, the place that Dr. Phillips is going, and I'm working on not being envious of him. I was born in Nashville, raised the first 17 years of my life within a 40 mile radius of Nashville, Tennessee. And in November of my senior year, my dad moved from Clarksville First Church of the Nazarene to Gary, Indiana. My grandmother Graves thought that dad had lost his ever-loving mind. Uh, I thought it was a great adventure until I got there. And then I wanted to go back home. I never listened to country music or WSM when I lived in Clarksville, but I can tell you at, on Saturday nights I'd go out where I could get a clear signal in Gary and turn on my car radio and just sit there for five or ten minutes just to hear them talk. <laughs> and, 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 and I can, I can tell you on the authority of a life of experience. That humanly sometimes we look at things and we say, that can't be right. But then we get there and we see how God works in it and we step back and say, God, I'm glad I listened to you and not myself. And life changes, and things, you know, uh, when most of the time, most of the time when I resigned to church and left, most of the people wanted me to stay. It was like a parting. It was like a funeral. It was like a, and yet we know that God leads, and that's the way God works. And God 
is never in the subtraction business. If God answers the call for Trevecca Nazarene University and leads Dr. David Phillips to Trevecca, he doesn't love Trevecca any more than he loves Nazarene Bible College. And God will make a way that we can trust him about. I don't say it because that's a good speech, although it's not a bad one. I say it because I've seen it over my life. If Dad had not moved to Gary, Indiana in the middle of my senior year, I'd have never gone to Olivet. If I hadn't gone to Olivet, I'd, where'd she go? I'd have never met that woman. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? So we trust him, don't we? We trust him. And we pray for Dr. Phillips in these transition days. Okay. We're going to sing here a song? We're going to. Whenever you're finished. Yeah, all right, I'm finished. Okay, all right. <laughs> Amen. Go in his peace. <laughs>